Hey folks, just a word of context about this week's episode. At a couple of different points, you may hear us refer to South by Southwest. Of course, we were recording this episode in advance of the festival's cancellation due to the coronavirus pandemic, so you can kind of ignore it and enjoy the rest of the episode. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. queers we are talking about pink cocaine we're talking rule violations and we're talking random appearances by wolves i'm joe and i'm trace and we're talking about hunting season so please wear your bright colors well this movie does have that in spades (laughs) it does it's a very bright i wrote in my notes this is very bright and it's a compliment i actually think the aesthetic of this movie is good Everyone, we are talking The Ranger today, which some of you may be like, what is that? Um, It's on Shudder, so go watch it, and then you can listen to us talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's a film from a couple years ago. It opened at South by Southwest, which is one of the reasons we're covering it, because Trace, when this episode drops, you will be at South by Southwest. Ooh, exciting. Yes, and you hear her voice. So, ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, we have a guest today. You know her as the creator, host, and producer of the horror podcast Girls, Guts, and Giallo, which examines subversive and controversial films from a queer femme perspective. Please welcome... Annie Rose Malamet. Hi, thank you Hi. for having me. Thanks for <laughs> thank coming. you for being here. Digitally being here. I know. <laughs> in my room with my cat. <laughs> I, I have my dogs in their crates right now. Nice. <laughs> I just have wine. Great. <laughs> I, I have coffee because I was really tired. Yeah, I mean, I've been sucking on a vape pen, so I'm glad that you have the wine. I don't feel like the only one who's... <laughs> <laughs> Let's all be rule violators together. Yeah. <laughs> we all have our vices. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Although the ranger in question would not be okay with that, so... No. We would all be marked for death at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Such a puritanical villain. Yes! Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So I, I, I did review this for Bloody way back when, and we'll talk about this a bit more in a bit, but one of my biggest complaints to this movie was that they don't really take advantage of, like, the shtick that the ranger could have. For sure. It's not campy enough. It's not. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll dive into that maybe a little bit further as we go into it. But, um, Annie, so this is a, well, I'm going to call it a punk rock slasher film. Yeah, that's fair. Also, uh trauma story that tries to be funny sometimes but then doesn't other times i don't know was this your first time seeing this movie it was yeah i had seen previews for it i had seen it on shutter it looked like something that i would be interested in so yeah but it was my first time watching it okay perfect so this is my third well second and a half time watching this movie because <laughs> <laughs> trace fell asleep the first time he watched it and then he had to go back and rewatch it a second time okay so yeah i mean i'll address the elephant in the room uh listeners so i teased this last week but i really wanted to, well i didn't want to discuss this movie because i don't particularly like this movie very much but i wanted to talk about my experience reviewing this film and kind of the aftermath because i think it'll bring 
I don't know. I think it'll be a good, good conversation. If it's not, then we're going to edit it all out. So it's true. You'll if never you just know. hear a long, <laughs> then that means the trace was super boring. So, okay. Let me take y'all back two years, almost to the day that I reviewed this film. So, Annie, have you ever been to a film festival? Have you ever, like, done any, like, coverage for film festivals before? I have, yeah. Okay. So, at South By, and most, like, other festivals, you know, so you go see movies, and you review them. That's cool. But sometimes for smaller films, they'll, uh, you can reach out to the publicist, and they'll send you a screening link. So you can, like, watch them in the comfort of your own home. Usually in advance of the festival, it's really convenient, so you can get your reviews out on time. It's always my preference. It's mm-hmm. always the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, this movie I was actually not supposed to review uh, back in 2018. Uh, I think there were three of us covering South by from Bloody uh, that year, and we split everything up. I actually did want to review this because the concept of a murderous park ranger just sounded really fun to me. Yeah, and we love a good slasher. Absolutely. Who doesn't love a good slasher? If you're listening to this and you don't, please... We'll keep no, listening. Don't turn it up. But no, so I, I, someone else was supposed to review this film, and... Basically, I watched a screener for this film, and I got really, really bored, and about 40 minutes in, so the halfway point of the film, I fell asleep. Like, totally fell asleep. My husband, who was also covering that year, watched it, and he was like, it's not good, don't worry about finishing it. So I was like, okay, you know what, maybe I'll finish it later, I won't prioritize it. So, the person who was supposed to review this film messaged me and was basically like, hey, look, I've heard it's not great. Uh, It's a female director. They don't have distribution. I don't want to kick the film when it's down, so I'm not going to review it. And I was like, okay, so I guess we're just not going to review it. That's fine. That same day, (laughs) my editor reached out to me. He goes, hey, blah, 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 like doesn't want to review the film. Can you please do it? And of course, in my mind, I'm like, fuck. I tried to watch it. I fell asleep. I know I can't review it, so I've got to watch this fucking thing again. So I do. I watched this movie another time, and I give it a bad review. I gave it a two out of five and whatever I think the, the reception for the film... Oh, actually, the, this is a good segue. Um, so the reception actually was fairly positive. Um, we're looking at a 76% of Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 6.92 out of 10. How many reviews? Do you know? I think it's like 30, to be honest. Okay. But that that's still a substantial amount. Yeah. Yeah, for like a small film like that. Yeah, a Shutter yeah. release specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking at a 76% based on 34 reviews, uh, although your audience score is at 42% based on 88 reviews. So, you know, that's that. I didn't think twice about it. I just let it go. I still didn't like the film. I pointed out that I liked the aesthetic, that I liked, you know, certain things about it. I think the practical effects are really good. But overall, I just thought it was kind of a dull film. So flash forward, let's say six-ish months, and um, I'm at a, a journalism industry party. And uh, I see my friend talking to someone and I walk over to my friend and I'm like, hey, uh, hi, blah, blah, blah. So I, I introduce myself to the person he's talking to and this person goes, oh, I know who you are. And I'm like, oh, um, what, what, what does that mean? <laughs> and they mentioned that they were involved with the ranger. And of course, I immediately am like, oh, shit. So I'm a bit inebriated by this point. And basically, this person tells me that I, you know... I shouldn't have released a film, uh, released a negative review of a film that didn't have distribution yet uh, because it could have hurt their chances of distribution. Uh, I was told that my review was the meanest one they got. And then I brought up that it was a two out of five. It wasn't like I gave it a one or an F or something. And they were like, no, but the, the verbiage in your review was very personal and mean and negative. And then this person also accused me of giving someone else associated with the film um, that this person went into a depression after reading my review. <laughs> 
And I was basically like, well, I mean, I'm a nobody. It's not like I, I, I'm not a name person. And this, this person follows up with, well, you may be a nobody, but the site you write for is not. And that's kind of what led into the whole distribution conversation. So that sucked a lot. <laughs> and about a month later, it's kind of still bugging me. And I'm like, oh, like I, I want to talk about this with someone. Like, maybe I am in the wrong. I feel kind of bad. And maybe this is a bad idea in hindsight, and y'all can kind of talk me through this, because I don't really know. I made, like, a really long Twitter thread that was similar to what I just told y'all, but very anonymous, not mentioning names. I didn't even mention the movie. Just saying what happened, because I wanted to honestly talk about the distribution thing, uh, because I have talked to other writers who also don't review films negatively out of film festivals. Not meaning that they'll, like, write a positive review even if they don't like it, but they'll just not review the film if they don't like it. So after I made this Twitter thread, uh, someone else that knew about my situation started harassing me on Facebook, telling me that, you know, they're going to release all the messages that I sent about how I fell asleep during the film. It's going to look really bad on me, and I'm an idiot, and I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have even posted anything, and blah, blah, blah. So that was that. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it, it, it's... <sighs> it's a full-blown saga. It really is. So... It was basically like this person messaged me and goes, I'm sorry that happened. It shouldn't have. And I assure you, I didn't know about it. But all that said, you shouldn't have posted that. It doesn't make anyone involved look good. Dude, you fell asleep during the movie. And I'm like, yeah. And I watched it again, like the professional fucking person that I am. <laughs> and basically just, yeah, he's like, if you, uh, if people find this out, uh, I'm going to have to release all the screenshots of everything we've talked about. Like, basically, it's going to make you look bad. People are going to think you're a, a, a sham or whatever. And I'm just like, I fell asleep and I rewatched it. I don't really know how that makes me look bad. Anyway, so that is my ordeal with this film. So to say I'm yeah, coming into it with a bit of baggage is probably an understatement. That being said, I did like it a little bit more in a second watch, but I did want to like just kind of discuss because I, I understand where this person is coming from about reviewing a film negatively, distributors read reviews, they might not pick up the film because of a review. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is two different things, right? One is the idea about whether or not you should or shouldn't give a negative review to a smaller film that doesn't have distribution and, you know, whether or not that impacts their chances. So that's one, and that's probably a valuable conversation to have. And then the other conversation is the fact that you more or less got bullied by somebody who felt you did something that they didn't like. They wanted you to feel badly about it, and then they tried to blame someone else's depression and mental health challenges on you, which is just unabashedly wrong. Yeah, it's abusive. I mean, I think, honestly, that's the, the thing that kind of got me the most. I mean, granted, you know, when, when this altercation was happening, I was, again, inebriated, so I wasn't really in the right mindset to be like, what? And also, it had been about six months since I wrote the review, so I couldn't even really remember what my review was saying, and... I went back and I looked at it, and, you know, I, I still stand by most of what I said, but there were a couple lines that I was like, you know what, maybe I could have rephrased that. The director of the film, Jen Wexler, um, like, she's actually, she produces a lot of horror films, um, especially indie films. She did this really, really good uh, indie film from actually the same year, I think, called Most Beautiful Island, which was one of my top films of that year. So she produced it, didn't direct it. But um, I basically wrote in the first paragraph of my review that, you know, this is her directorial debut. She knows what makes a good horror film, but unfortunately not much of that knowledge is on display in The Ranger, a dull and forgettable entry in the slasher subgenre. And then I also said at the end of the review, <laughs> it may seem like I'm criticizing it for not being what I wanted it to be, but I would be okay with it being something different if it was good. So maybe those are a bit too harsh. I mean, you know, whatever. 
It's tricky because reviews are inherently subjective. As a critic, you try to be objective about the art that you're watching and sort of remove that. But at the end of the day, you're still going to put something of yourself into that. It sounds like there were a couple of lines in there that maybe could have been omitted. Right. Festival coverage is really hard because you're usually writing under the gun and you're covering a lot of films and you're watching a lot of films. Not that that's an excuse, but it's a factor that definitely plays in. I mean, I remember I had to literally rewrite an entire review because I was too spoilery. Oh, I remember oh, that. People are complaining about this <laughs> review. And I was like, yeah, because I wrote it at 3 a.m. My apologies. <laughs> um, Trace, where was this review published? So it was published on Bloody Disgusting. And that's okay. what both Joe and right. I write. And okay. I get, you know, if you're talking horror website, it's pretty much going to be like Bloody Disgusting, Dread Central. Like those are your, in, in my opinion, the two like juggernauts of horror journalism on the internet. Luckily, though, I mean, there was a second review that was posted um, to... to not, not combat mine, but just to be like, hey, Trace's is one opinion, this other, here's another opinion that was much more positive, which is great. And I, I don't want to, I mean, I say I don't want to paint myself like a victim here. Maybe people will think that me even telling the story is me painting myself like a victim, but I, I just think it's a worthwhile conversation to have, not only, yes, about the distribution thing, but also about the interaction between filmmakers and critics, especially if it's maybe a, a critic who goes on to make films or do, uh, do stuff with films, because... I do think there's a argument to be ha said where it's like, hey, you know what? I, as a critic, dish it out. I have to write good and bad things about films that I like and don't like. So I should also be able to take it if someone is criticizing one of my reviews. So that's kind of my conundrum with this movie. So, I mean, again, if y'all are listening to this, you don't have to take my opinion of the movie seriously because you may just think there's too much of a bias on my part. Wow. And you did fall asleep, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think everything Joe said about how there's two things kind of going on here is really true. But I, I also think there's another thing going on, which is that there is an inherent friction in horror community and film community generally because of how maligned women filmmakers are mm -hmm. and how they're just not given the same play, the same treatment at, right. at all. So I think that that is you know it's it's very it's hard not to feel protective of mm -hmm. that i mean i can tell you like as a queer woman like i was recently reviewing something i didn't really care for and i hesitated to give it any kind of negative review because the person who i was reviewing is of very similar identities to me mm -hmm. so i you know i felt a little weird about that so i sort of gave a review that was you know, very fair, but still very honest, but without all of the without a lot of the qualifiers of like, oh, this is dull or bad, you know, just kind of trying to be fair. But it was a it was definitely a conundrum. Like, how do I do that? Because I also understand the position that we're in. Yes, yeah. I, I definitely think gender politics play a big part in this because the person that did reach out to me to kind of like, you know, threaten me with releasing <laughs> screenshots, this person was basically saying like, well, what do you think the horror bros are going to say when it's like, oh, these women can't handle it and blah, 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 because of your story about this instance that happened to you. And I'm like, I, I get that. I, I do get that. But I also don't think that's entirely fair to lay on me. But it was so funny because I remember when the confrontation happened. Y'all seen Drive Me to Hell, right? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever the Lamy is coming for, she's like, no, it was my manager, Jim Jacks. Take him. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was confronted and I was like, well, my editor asked me to do it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's just not the right time to be bringing that up is the other. No, it's not professional. And even if it was some kind of networking event, like if there's alcohol involved no, and time yeah. has passed, like, no, no. I guess one of the other things, I feel like we can't have this conversation without also acknowledging the fact that, you know, about a month ago, maybe give or take, depending on uh, the timeline of recording this episode Mm -hmm. (laughs) when it drops, we're also coming off of a very public PR fiasco, personal fiasco for a director, you know, Jason Lee Howden, the director of Guns Akimbo, very publicly went after two female women of color. I mean... There's a lot of issues in that, and I'm not going to try to talk about them here because to do so would probably be to give a too little justice to the nuanced complexity of it. Right. Uh, but listeners, if y'all actually want to read about this, and this article was written by one of the women who was attacked by Jason Lee Howden. It's on Medium, which I... Is Medium just like a place where people can just go write shit? Like, it's just like a journal? It's like a personal blog. Yeah. Um, but if you just Google the article, Guns Akimbo was a movie of interest, dot, 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 until... It's written by Dark Sky Lady. That's her handle on everything. She basically details what happened. And it's a really, really interesting piece. Yeah. The reason I bring it up is obviously because it was so public and it really spiraled, but... It highlights some of the complexities that are inherent, not just around the relationship between film directors and critics or people who are, you know, writing and working and talking about the industry and Mm -hmm. reception, but also the way that sometimes mostly gender and race and class, you know, kind of come into those demographics and just the ease with which something like social media can now play into and amplify the disconnect. I mean, I think in that case, there's a very obvious example of like, this is a director who completely fucking overstepped and yeah, like, was deservedly was taken down. Sexist. Yeah. yeah, just mm-hmm. absolutely terrible. You know, there's, there's like a pretty clear villain there, but the circumstances surrounding it they're not black and white, but they do, I think, highlight the fact that there's an uneasy tension that comes when people are pouring themselves into their art. And whether that's filmmaking or whether that's writing about film, you know, people are putting themselves into this. And then when other people have to come and be critical or be fair, as you suggested, Annie, there's still hurt feelings there's still tensions you know like at the end of the day we're gonna talk about the ranger and it's a film that we kind of get to see in isolation like we're just looking at the product right whereas for somebody like jen wexler if you talk about this this was her baby yeah it's her baby it's years of her life that she spent producing and marketing and preparing so there's there's a lot to a film even if sometimes we seem very flippant about them and we'll we'll definitely talk about that too. I mean, I don't have a lot of information about like how this film was made, but um, Larry Fessenden, John John Rostalwart, <laughs> Larry Fessenden, um, had a big part in helping this get made, and he's actually really he has helped a lot of uh, up and coming like indie horror filmmakers take off. Like he helped Ty West take off, um, Jim Mickle, who did Steak Lamb, and so Jen Wexler was one of his next people that he like you know helped. Like, he helped. I mean, he's in this movie. His production company, Glass Eye Picks, produced this movie, and. 
You're right, though. I mean, I, I understand, you know, it's it's someone's baby. It's easy for me as a, you know, Joe Blow critic who is taking time off from his day job to go wa- watch movies for free <laughs> at a film festival and review films. Like, yeah, to be like, yeah, this movie sucked. I hated it. But I think, yeah, it, you're right. Like, am I thinking about, oh, but like, what about all the the people whose hard, like, blood, sweat, and tears went into this film? Is it something I'm thinking about off the top of my, like, immediately? No. No, but you're, like, you're never doing that, right? No. Even when I go to a giant monolithic Disney film, like, you know, when I went to Frozen 2 and I had to debate whether or not I wanted to review it because I felt like it was kind of reductive and a sequel for cash-in purposes so that they could also win another Oscar for best song, like... You know, I could have written all of that and been glib and very satisfactory because I was taking down Disney. And at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I just don't feel like this is a valuable piece of criticism, so I'm not going to write it. But I could have just as easily written it. But -hmm. on the flip side, there's still hundreds of animators and people who worked on that film. They rely on Disney for their paychecks. Like, that's what I mean by it's not so easy. But at the same time, as film critics, it's also not our responsibility to be like, am I hurting someone's feelings if I give this a bad review? Well, the other part of this, too, is like, I often am frustrated by the fact that I don't feel like people give sincere reviews. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, <laughs> like because of social media now. I mean, that I think that really did used to be less of the case. Yeah. I think because of social media, like we're so front facing uh, and constantly interacting with each other that I think people feel like, oh, my God, I can't say that. I But this person follows me, you know, like. Yeah. Or if I say this, I can get a pull quote on the Blu-ray. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the things like that. And so it's very, I find it very important to keep giving your honest opinion. Then the other part of that, which is like, you know, I can see somebody being upset with is like, who historically gets to give the opinions? Right. And who, whose opinions get amplified? And, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, I am very fortunate at least especially back then i mean i don't write as much for bloody anymore but i still do cover south by southwest and fantastic fest but i'm aware of the privilege that i have to be doing this you know and we're in a time now where everyone is a critic like everyone is writing and blogging and writing reviews and trying to make it i mean you know now movies on rotten tomatoes get 400 reviews whereas it used to be like 80 right but even that is that's because of concerted efforts by Rotten Tomatoes recently to acknowledge the fact that they have historically only accredited white male film critics. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those, as we talked about on previous episodes of the podcast, are also not genre outlets even, right? Yeah. So you get a bunch of fucking Owen Glibbermans from Variety reviewing genre films and saying that they're stupid. And you're like, well... Maybe this film isn't for you, you fucking asshole. Yeah, and that's yeah. why I think, you know, somebody would get really would get really sensitive about it being on Bloody Disgusting. Well, admittedly, I, I do still stand by my review, but this movie made me angry because I hated these kids so much. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's why it came through in my review, and I'm not defending that, you know. I mean, again, like y'all said, I could have edited some of these things or, like, maybe reworded some things. But funnily enough, a similar thing happened with another movie that came out, I think it might have been, the, no, it was the year before, called Game of Death that also had a bunch of awful, shitty kids. And the screenwriter of that movie commented on my review <laughs> and oh, basically wow. said he got a tattoo to commemorate the pain that my review caused him. Oh, my God. So oh, dramatic. wow. But and I, <laughs> I, and I think that the tone of my review was probably similar to the tone of my Ranger review, but honestly a bit meaner. So this guy was probably more justified. 
So lesson for me, maybe just say what I'm writing before I post it. <laughs> or I mean, it's it's difficult. I don't, you know, it's another thing. It's like, I don't know if this situation could have been avoided. Like, yeah. sometimes, you know, we try to think in retrospect, what could I have done to avoid the situation? Sometimes conflict happens. And sometimes it's not actually about you. Right. I mean, it may have been you and that review and other things, but it also might have just been like, you know what? I'm having a really fucking bad day. We've been Mm. trying to secure distribution for this film for ages, and then this didn't help. I don't think there's a right or a wrong here. You can look back and say, you know what? I maybe should have done some edits on this, but Annie, you're right. It may not have had any impact. The result may have still been the same. I feel like what we should take away from this discussion is that we're better when there's more diversity in terms of like reviewing and making films so that we are at least able to acknowledge that there are lots of different opinions and lots of different art. Yeah, like I think it's great that Bloody Disgusting posted another review. Oh, 100%. And again, th- th- this review was very positive. It was from someone named Justin Yandel and um, he really enjoyed the film. Um, no, I mean, it's like, uh, I, yeah. Sorry, I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> good. Can we just talk about the fucking movie already? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so luckily, this film did get distribution from Shudder. It was picked up by Shudder. Mm-hmm. Released August 17th, 2018. Uh, runtime of, well, it's 80 minutes, but 77 minutes without credits. And, you know, just like Zombievers a couple weeks ago, God bless 77-minute runtimes. I wish oh, yeah. more movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can't say that this one flies by in the same sort of way, but at least it wasn't two hours long or something. Ooh, Sorry, capping on your maybe this film isn't for you. This film I thought was going to be for me because it was a slasher movie with kind of a gimmick of the park ranger thing. But because it's punk and that's not a subculture or style of music that I'm very familiar with, maybe that had something to do with it. But we can discuss that as we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of the film. Well, maybe, Annie, if you're comfortable with this, do you want to give like a quick primer on who these punk kids are? Um, well, who these punk kids are in particular, I mean, there's so, there's so, punk is such a, you know, rich history and it's got mm-hmm. so many subcultures within it. <laughs> I think it's so interesting to me that you were like, oh, I just hate these shitty kids. Cause I was like, that is punk kids. Like, they're, I know. they're well, angry and shitty. <laughs> like, and, and that's the, th- and, and that's the thing. You know? I was one of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a privileged white male person from an upper middle class family in, in the suburbs of Houston, Texas. And so, and I'm a rule follower. I don't, I don't get a high out of like, you know, fuck the police or anti-establishment. And so watching them be like this, specifically in the scenes when they antagonize law enforcement. And I get that that's part of that, but it made me hate them. I was just like, y'all just shut up. Just shut up and mind your own business. It's so interesting. I had like, I, it's not completely not something that bothered me about them at all. I mean, I think, <laughs> <Really>? okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can relate to that very deeply as somebody who grew up in that subculture. Mm-hmm. I think that, <sighs> The thing that bothered me about it is I just didn't think it went far enough. Like, I feel like if you were going to have this group of punk kids who are like doing drugs, breaking the law, etc., I feel like they should be a little bit more punk rock. Like, I felt it was almost sort of like a simulcrum of punk. Like, I just didn't, I didn't feel like it was enough. I felt like it was mm-hmm. maybe waffling a bit. They, they weren't bad enough. <laughs> Walking away from this movie, I don't have a much clearer understanding of what punk is. And now, is that the movie's responsibility to, like, walk me through that? Not really. But outside of the first scene, yeah, there's not really much here. And maybe it's because of the aesthetic of the woods. You know, it's not really exactly a punk scene. But 
I don't know. So when I was doing some research for this, I read a couple of different interviews with Jen Wexler. And one of the elements that she wanted to highlight was when these punks are in their natural element, you know, they're tough, they're strong, they're very much in control. And then the minute that they start to get into the woods, she wanted them to really be out of their element. And therefore, they start to kind of fall apart. They lose the elements of the punk that made them strong and independent and forces to be reckoned with because suddenly they're not in their natural environment. And you can see it reflected in some of the ways like there's a lot of punk music at the beginning and then that transitions into more traditional score when they get into the woods. Mm-hmm. So I like those kinds of elements, but I'm I'm not going to lie, Annie. I kind of felt the same way. Like, The film starts off so strong with like a really distinct personality and then it just kind of feels like it doesn't come to anything. Like the concept is great. Punks Mm -hmm. versus an authoritarian ranger. Totally. And then it just doesn't... It's not enough. It just doesn't turn into anything. Like that's kind of where it begins and ends. I don't feel like I know the kids any better at the end of the movie. I could see, like, as somebody who deeply loves punk film and punk film history and punk culture and music, I saw all the references I felt like Jen Wexler was going for. So I appreciate that. And I could see that there was a sensibility of somebody who's been in that scene and that subculture. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel like it was enough like there there's discord between the punks when they're in the woods not enough you know like just push it further like we're we're talking about a movie where like somebody gets their foot chopped off in a bear trap like Mm -hmm. if you're gonna do that i just wanted it to be a, a more like more fighting more discord more secrets unveiled more relationship trouble you know like i wanted to know more about them i'm not i don't really give a fuck about the ranger like, I, I care about these kids, and then I felt also that the ranger just wasn't campy enough. Uh, yeah. Agreed. It's funny. I remember the whole film being very boring to me two years ago, whereas watching it last night, I was like, you know what? The first half of this movie, I actually was quite a bit into. I still get, didn't love the kids, but <laughs> I, I, I was captivated more so than I remember being. But what's weird is that once people start dying, that's when my interest started waning. And I thought that the last 20 minutes of this dragged so much. It's really frustrating. It's a frustrating viewing experience for me. Yeah, and I would have liked it if, like, the punk music picked up at the end again, Mm -hmm. when we've got the final girl. You know, just, like, some... There just needed to be some stronger choices, some more, like, committing to that aesthetic, I think is what my problem was. I think the screenplay is where a lot of my problems lies, because I do think that, I think the film is shot well and directed well. I can't really comment on the music, because I don't know shit about that. But yeah, I think it's really a lot of the screenplay is is where my issue lies, which um, was co-written by Wexler and Giacco, Giacco Farino. They are college screenwriters, so they, they went to film school together, and apparently they had this as a film school assignment and then when they both had to get real jobs they kind of put it into a drawer and like shelved it for a long time and then when she decided that she was going to make her directorial debut she jumped back into this with him and she said that she fleshed out the characters but i think what ultimately you see in the final film is that she fleshes out chelsea yeah and none of the other characters really pop in the same way 
I'm sorry, I'm going to come back to one other interview. Yeah. So she did a, an interview with Pop Matters, and I feel like this quote is really telling. She says, For my first film, I wanted to make something that was overall a fun time, that feels like you were going on an adventure and escaping reality. But I also want to ground it a little bit with Chelsea and say something bigger through her story, and you are definitely on the journey with her. And to me, that's kind of the film in summation. It's two different films. One part is this overall fun time adventure and escaping reality. And that's the punks going and living in the moment and then getting murdered in fun 80s throwback slasher style. And then the other half is this layered, traumatic story about a girl who, spoiler alert, killed her uncle because she may or may not be a sociopath. And then she got groomed by this ranger. Yeah, that didn't make any sense to me, also. So did y'all think that there was, like, a sexual assault component in play yes. between her and the There's Ranger? a sexual vibe at the very minimum. Mm-hmm. This is the other thing that didn't go far enough for me. I felt like it was a tepid rape revenge. Yeah. Like, it, it, it was implied without actually going there, but not going there goes against the spirit of punk. So oh, yeah. <laughs> there we go. You, you have to, <laughs> if you're going to do that, do it i i you know don't you know waffle on it i think is my my issue with it yeah there's so many moments in this film where you think they're gonna punch it or they're gonna hit the the gas pedal the accelerator and it doesn't really come until that final confrontation which happens in the last couple of minutes but by then i'm so disconnected i just don't know that i care anymore yeah What was up with the... Okay, we'll get there when we talk about the plot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we dance around it a lot. Should we we jump into it and we'll go Yeah, that that sounds good. I mean, I guess I don't really have much about the production because I already, like, said it. But yeah, I mean, basically, Larry Fessenden took Wexler under his wing, it sounds like, and, like, helped this movie get made. And also, you telling that story about how it started as a college project means that this was carried around for years. And so the emotional, like, investment in this property makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just a first-time film. It's something that she'd been thinking about for a very long time. <laughs> okay, let's begin. So we open with a shot fired. A young girl, played by everyone's favorite wonderkin, Jetty Laurence. People will recognize her from Pet Cemetery, the remake. Mm-hmm. She is told about wolves on a rock cliff by a ranger, played by Jeremy Holm. And later he prepares a meal for her, but she's got a dazed, kind of mildly confused look on her face. Like, she's not exactly sure what's happening. Should I talk about wolf theme now, or would you prefer that I talk about wolves You later? can talk about, talk about, it, about now. it now. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Because it's all throughout this film, and I'll confess, don't really get it. Okay, so, you know, wolves are used a lot in horror to talk about untamed sexuality. And I think, you know, in this case, I see it as kind of a, a Little Red Riding Hood thing. Oh, ew. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, going, getting lost ew. in the woods and, you know, a wolf, you know, the Little Red Riding Hood story is a metaphor for rape basically mm-hmm. you know a girl wanders into the woods and a wolf you know keeps pursuing her you know she's trying to get to the safety she gets eaten at the end right you know it's all a, a you know, uh, sexual predatory vibe to the story mm-hmm. and i think that that is what's being set up here and i think why wolves are a theme throughout the whole film uh you know it's got that nod to a little red riding hood theme 
I think it's also a little bit of pack, right? Like he considers right. her a part of his pack because they have this shared history together. Yes. I wonder if the film, because because he says specifically, like, no one will know. And I wrote in my notes, because honestly, I forgot. I was like, was she sexually abused? And I, do you think the film is trying to use that as like a, a diversion to like make you not think that, oh, actually, she just killed her uncle instead of being like assaulted? I think so. Yeah. I don't know if that leaves a good taste in my mouth, to be honest. Oh, I mean, there's no good taste to come from this because we're either talking about she was sexually assaulted by the ranger or by her uncle or she's just a killer. Mm-hmm. These are not good options. Yeah, which... Well, I think it's also kind of playing with the viewer a little bit because, like, we're so used to women and girls being sexually abused in film. And yeah. I think, you know, that's immediately where our mind goes. So I think, you know, it's a, an, an elaborate troll. It's like, oh... That's your assumption. Actually, here's what really happened. Yeah. yeah. I think I just wish that it was a little bit more clear. It's not clear at all. by leaving it open yeah. <laughs> to assumption, I feel like we can misread this. Not that everything has to be spelled out in black and white, but just... But a film like this... I'll confess until we started talking about this, I didn't even consider the fact that she might have been sexually assaulted. I thought she was just a burgeoning sociopath. Interesting. Yeah, oh. I mean, I, I think it's just, it's again, like, if you're going to go there, go there, I think is my, yeah, I, I it wasn't clear enough. Yeah. Okay. So basically, they have this tete-a-tete. He doesn't want her to forget him, but that's when the authorities come calling and we get this brief credit sequence. But really, this is setting up a recurring flashback sequence that will continue throughout the film. Yeah. But now we should move into the present day and go to a punk show. This is mm-hmm. gross. I, <laughs> what part is gross? I just like the the the, the setting of this like club. Oh my god. I know. You're so vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is like my typical weekend. <laughs> you're the first person to ever call Trace vanilla. That's hilarious. <laughs> no, um, it, it actually reminds me of a couple bars um, on on the east side in Austin. Um east side's kind of like the hipster area, but it's a lot of houses that have turned into bars, like, like old houses, and um some of which look just like this space. And it just like yeah, it's again, not exactly my scene. Yeah, it's grungy, it's dirty, you definitely don't want to touch anything on the floor. Gum everywhere. You're probably puking in the bathroom. (laughs) Or Uh doing this really chunky pink cocaine type thing. Yeah. (laughs) No, because there's a point where, um, oh my god, Amber is like, you know, just fingering the fuck out of it. And I was like, "Why, why is it so chunky? Are they not like bashing the rocks out of it? But then joe pointed out to me he was like well i don't think it's supposed to be cocaine it's supposed to be just like a generic drug because it's pink so yeah that i didn't care for either (laughs) yeah it seems like this is their own brand and i'm using finger quotes right now that you can't see but i don't know how these teams would have managed to come across two bricks of coke so I always assumed that they were, you know, cutting it with like a special thing and then turning it pink to kind of make it a little bit more playful. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I mean, it, it fits nicely within the aesthetic of this film where there's so much pink and neon colors. So yeah. I liked that visual aesthetic. But yeah, the ugh, the amount of drug use that these kids are just casually doing oh as, as a mature Guys, adult. you're making me feel bad about myself. This is... <laughs> This is like what I did when I was a teenager. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. 
I was not, I just worried uh, for the kids. I'm worried about the kids. Are they all right? I was not criticizing the fact that they were doing the drugs. I was criticizing the fact that the drugs didn't look good. No, they didn't. It looked like <laughs> shitty cocaine. Yeah, yeah I exactly. Was like, There's baby it, laxatives all in that shit. Yeah, I was like, oh. Yeah, they, the way that they were like manhandling it and how chunky it was. Yeah, I was like, that's going to hurt going up. I'm trying to think. If I had two bricks of coke, like, yeah, sure, maybe I'd be a little bit flippant with, you know. <laughs> yeah. If, if, I'm, if I'm spilling some, like, eh, whatever. I have a whole br- two bricks here. To Trace, this is just a long weekend, is what he's saying. Uh, yeah. This yeah, is a great weekend, yeah. All I could think about was, like, these kids are going to get nosebleeds, and they are going to have zero brain cells by the end of the. Well, because we kind of get that, They'll be that, okay. Though. They'll bounce back. We kind of get that, though, when uh, Chelsea, she goes into, like, a daze. I, I'm always a fan of watching how films... Film their drug sequences? Yes. Uh, like, 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 Midsummer did it really well with the with the shrooms. This did you one... all see Bliss? No. no. Oh, gotta watch it. I loved it. But anyway, Bliss has great drug sequences. I've heard that, yeah. Re- Requiem for a Dream does similar thing, but that that uses more um, like editing than it is like the actual like film changing. Whereas, so in this movie, you get, you get like kind of a haze around Chelsea, and I was like, I feel like this is a different kind of high, which is why I was like, maybe it's not cocaine; it's something that's a bit more chill. I don't really know. It was unclear. <laughs> she's she's definitely having some fun with this. So yeah, so we are introduced to adult Chelsea, who is played by Chloe Levine. And she is at this dive bar with her boyfriend, Garth, played by Granite Lahu, or Lehu. And he is the worst. The worst. Now, Annie. Yeah. He's a piece of shit, boy. You were into oh, him, were you? Oh, okay. So... <laughs> I don't know how old they're supposed to be. Are they supposed to be like 16, 17? Or are they no. supposed to be? Oh, how I, old are they? I, I took them to be like 21. Yeah. Oh, no. They're like talking about their parents and shit. Like, <laughs> one, of, one, of the, like, one of the girls is like, oh, my parents are going to be pissed. I thought they were supposed to be like 16, 17. I do feel like Amber is a little oh. bit younger okay, than Okay, okay. But she, she still needs to be old enough to drive independently. So presumably she's What's a 16? minimum of 16. Right. Okay. Well, anywhere from 16 to 21. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Five-year age. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I will say like as – you know, I think every punk girl has dated like shitty punk guys like this, and uh, every like I know I did. <laughs> so, and I actually found that very relatable. Yeah. Oh, everybody's had a Garth, right? Yes, I think everybody, and I think that that's you know particularly funny in punk subcultures because I think like punk straight men, uh, you know, they think that they're like above mainstream masculinity because you know they they reject it and they have a certain aesthetic and they are they believe in certain things and uh you know they believe in you know whatever would it be anarchy or communist punks or whatever like they believe they have a certain set of values so they think that they're above being sexist shitheads but usually they're just it's just they're jocks they're the jocks (laughs) of their scene yeah that's a like a great way to distill it down for us laymans, though. <laughs> great. <laughs> so also at the bar, we meet boyfriends Abe, played by Bubba Weller, and Jerk, played by Jeremy Pope. And essentially our introduction to these folks is that they are sitting around, they're doing these designer pink drug, maybe cocaine, bad cocaine. And <laughs> Joe's like, bad cocaine? What does that mean? <laughs> Yes, it's true. I sit up here in my ivory tower and I look out at the peasants and I think, what are they doing down there? 
Are they snorting chunky cocaine today? <laughs> Let them snort coke. <laughs> yes, and then I'm decapitated. <laughs> Uh, so Chelsea is fairly high. She's tripping. You know, we get a bit of a montage. She's peeing. She's dancing. She's spacing out. She chats with Amber, who is played by returning horror queers vet Amanda Grace Benitez, who we briefly talked about when we did our episode on All Cheerleaders Die. And I will tell you right now, I didn't recognize her. I would not have recognized her. And it's not even just the blue hair. Like, she looks different in this movie. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that movie. All Cheerleaders Die? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in that case we're going to recommend you not listen to our episode <laughs> i mean it's a it's a hot mess but it maybe could have its fun appeal to some people i love mess <laughs> uh, i mean who doesn't yeah but I, I thought you said i love meth and i was like oh that's a choice <laughs> oh, that's what the drug is i was i was pretending i didn't know but, I, but yeah it's pink meth pink meth yeah Ugh. I mean, I'm going to have questions for y'all later when we get to the part where they inject it. Because what? I've never injected anything. I mean, I thought they were just, I just thought they were doing heroin. Yeah, but like, it's also pink. So I know. Yeah. Are they mass producing these various drugs in pink for this movie? Yeah, that's no, that's 100% what it is. I mean, it's clearly a stylistic choice. I mean, I don't know how you would dye cocaine. I'm assuming you just use food coloring of some sort. I don't know. Well, no, because they would get wet. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's so confusing. (laughs) Continue the story. (laughs) Okay. So at this point, the pigs raid the bar. So everyone has to haul ass out of there. And everybody mostly gets away except for Chelsea. Because, of course, she is the one with the backpack full of drugs. Yep. So she is stopped by a cop. And before anything can happen, Garth shows up. They get into a tussle. And Garth stabs this police officer with his large knife. And at this point, Chelsea has picked up the gun, and she briefly considers shooting the police officer, which then prompts a flashback. So this is how we know that Chelsea is also the girl from the opening sequence. Right. Right. So, now that and we have gotten away... I, was just, I will say, I like this first scene. I immediately hate all these kids. I mean, it really is a thing. But I like the setup here. I think it sets up something that's kind of fun. And I like that the villains throughout the whole film are... Uh, some kind of authority figure like we have the police in the beginning Mm -hmm. which obviously have like a huge history of friction with punk communities and then we have the park ranger who is like the policeman of the woods do we think because this movie has an 80s aesthetic to it do we think it's supposed to be like it follows where it's like a timeless thing where it's like you don't know when it's taking place is it present day is it 80s do y'all have any idea it's a good question. I felt like it was supposed to be like evergreen. Like you don't you don't know when when it yeah. when it is, which is very popular. I feel like in modern horror, mm-hmm. it's very true. Jen Wexler says in a couple of the interviews that she's going for an '80s dreamlike aesthetic. Oh, so I don't think it's actually meant to be set in the '80s, but it's definitely evoking it not just through the slasher, but also the look and the feel of it. Right. Okay, so these kids hit up a diner, and they're trying to figure out what their next move should be, because, of course, they're now wanted by the police, because they have a sultan officer. And at this point, Garth continues to double down on his shitty boyfriend status by volunteering Chelsea's family cottage as a safe house. And she's very reticent to go there, because this is where her uncle Peter, who is played by director Larry Fessenden, this is where he died, obviously, as we've 
people come to see. They reveal things very slowly in pieces here because she says he died, but then it's later that she goes, oh, he was killed. And then it's, oh, wait, I killed him. Well, she never fully says that, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do we think that she remembers killing him or is it a repressed memory? I felt like she killed him because he was molesting her. Did oh. I just did I just project that onto it? I, didn't I thought get that's that. what we were talking about. No, I thought that no, <laughs> I thought that the ranger was molesting her. I thought both of them were. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> That's I mean, what I thought I'm, was happening. Taking it to some dark places here, Annie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mean to like make light of the fact that this girl may have been molested by one or two people. But yeah, no, I I literally never even considered the fact that the uncle was molesting her. I don't know. I mean, I, I just, again, it, it wasn't really clear. You no. might be right, though. Yeah. I mean, that, that might have been the implication. Like, like maybe they were doing it together. Yes, which is actually quite common. So yes. that's why oh. I was like, oh, that's what's happening. Yeah. Mm, I'm going to choose to believe that, actually. Yeah. I mean, that's what made Mo the most sense to me. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I mean, it certainly would explain why it it's not just the fact that her uncle died there, but also it's like the dark cabin. Yeah, and know, she has such a PTSD reaction to being there. Yeah. Yeah, so she really does not want to go back to this family cottage. But of course, Garth is like, no, we got to lay low. So they hop in a stolen van and they begin to drive up there. And at this point, they discover that Amber has actually been sleeping in the van because it is hers. And she's totally chill with the fact that they didn't, you know, wake her up, but also that they didn't leave her behind to get arrested. So cool, I guess. <laughs> no, that's very punk. That's very punk. <laughs> just like go with the flow. I was flow. just like, Amber, you are so chill, girl. Yeah, just go with the well, flow. No, yeah. And this is also where she just starts casually doing drugs again. No, but, that, like, no. but you, you that, just that, did so much drugs. That was my thing, though. A, she should not be asleep. B, she's too chill for someone who is presumably doing a lot of speed. Well, that's why it's like, what is the drug? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, There's too much like, uncertainty in this heroin? film. We don't know if people have been sexually assaulted. We don't know what drugs people are doing. We don't have answers. This is your screenplay right here. This is where you go and adjust things and you add things and you remove things. Yeah, that's the drug thing, you know, and the reason I think we're hung up on it and we might not be so hung up on it, it's a central part of the plot. Yeah, like it really plays into the way that they're interacting with each other. Yes, and what happens later. So mm-hmm. it's kind of important for us to know those things. Mm-hmm. So en route, they stop off at a local convenience store and they shoplift liberally because the attendant is sleeping at the job. <sighs> but this is where we get our introduction to the modern day ranger. So he sees Chelsea in the store. He takes her outside. They have a confrontation with the rest of the group. Garth, of course, is trying to pose. I guess, so yeah, this scene made me angry. This is what I was talking about earlier when I was like, y'all, just shut the fuck up, get in your car, and leave. However, if we're looking at it as he was molesting Chelsea, I think maybe this scene is easier for me to swallow. Mm, Why is that? Because he's a rapist. Mm -hmm. He's a child molester. (laughs) Oh, so you don't mind that they're challenging his authority because he's not a good guy right i mean again i i don't like police like, i get really nervous around police and like security guards and things because i just like i i could not do what these kids are doing it makes me very uncomfortable and then watching them do this i was like y'all are stupid just fucking go away well i mean i think that there's also a certain amount of like braggadociousness to a male straight male right, yeah. punk that 
you know other punk kids just don't have or, well, or live in more fear that's actually interesting that you bring up you specify straight too because we have the two gay punks here mm-hmm. they don't have a ton to do in this movie i appreciate that the film doesn't like be like make a big deal of it gay they're gay but on another note they just don't have as much to do yeah and i mean that would have been cool to have them have more things to do you know mm-hmm. like I would never call this a queer horror film just because there's uh, two queer characters in it. I don't think it examines any queer themes or anything like Uh, that. We've got to take our scraps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, you know, they're just kind of there. I mean, the other thing about it is like, who are these kids? Because, you know, I'm sure, you know, Jen Wexler, what I'm assuming comes from a punk background. Mm -hmm. Probably. Mm -hmm. There's so much diversity in punk culture and usually queer punks hang out with other queer punks Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of like okay and like punks of color hang out with uh punks of color or like other queer punks you know like it's just it seems a little bit like a it's like a hodgepodge it's a hodgepodge like i just don't know who they are i would like to know more about who this group of friends is that seems to be a complaint that we actually have a lot um when it's a group of friends like it's Mm. like oh i I wanted to spend more time with them just even like a five minute scene of them just hanging out to just get the vibe that all of them had you know right which is funny though right because just to bring it back to the conversation we had at the beginning before we got into the actual film if you're thinking about the typical notes that you would get from a studio or in this case probably independent financiers i'm guessing if you're making a horror film it's always going to be get to the next kill like when are we going to get into the action Mm -hmm. so it's tough for us as viewers because i don't care when these kids get killed because i don't feel like right we all know it's coming yeah yeah it's inevitable they are literally just bodies right well when we get to the kills i will have things to say specifically about the first one (laughs) yeah yeah as one other side note, I feel like Amber is a very odd character in this because she gives me rave vibes. I was literally just going to say she's like a raver. <laughs> yeah, and not just because of the hair, like her entire attitude. Like if she had have woken up and started sucking on a ring pop, I would have been like, yes, I know who this girl is. Yeah, 100%. just little things like that could have made it so much more of a, of a world building thing. I actually, that's why I'm glad we actually have you on this episode, because I, I cannot watch this and say, oh yeah, that's punk, that's not punk, whatever. I do wonder if maybe, like, punks that watch this are putting it under, like, more scrutiny, because I feel like that's a subculture that's like, you know, you're proud to be a punk, you know, you have certain things. But you also have, like you said, all these different subcultures within punk. So right. it doesn't sound like it's helping it, though. Punks like... would not be hanging out with ravers. But <laughs> I <laughs> but I mean, I mean, there is like crossover, like, of course, with all subcultures. But that would have that could have been like a funny little element to put in there of like the friction between these punks and this raver girl. Like I could have seen that being really cute and played up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the friction in this film is between Chelsea and the rest of the group. Yes, yes. I don't know. I found a lot of the time the interactions among the group, all I wanted to do was be like, these people are assholes, not just because their behavior is disrespectful and they're littering and they're, you know, going up against authority, but because they were going up against my female protagonist. Like, Chelsea is our audience surrogate. Like, we are attached to her throughout this film. It's very much her movie. 
And every time they act like assholes to her, I'm just like, why are you acting like an asshole to me? I know. And it's mm-hmm. also like, <laughs> maybe this is me being like very naive. and But I just feel like everybody else in the friend group, like it's two queer people and like another girl and like some asshole straight man. I feel like they would have been like, dude, fuck off. Stop talking to mm-hmm. her like that. Yeah. Oh, I kept waiting for the gays to be like, no. Yeah, any of them would have been like, dude, shut the fuck up. Well, and also she's she's very clearly like shaken by even being at this cabin. Yes. And they don't pick up on that, which is again another no, reason why they're I don't such like them that terrible much. friends. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're really bad friends. They're not good friends. But yeah. that's a good segue though, because then into where we are in the story, because they get to they park and they have to walk just under a mile <laughs> to mm-hmm. get to the cabin. Yeah, so they're they're partying, they're drinking, they're littering, they're smoking. As soon as they get to the cabin, Chelsea kind of starts to confirm, like, yeah, so my uncle's not just dead, he was killed here. And, you know, she asks them to keep the place clean because she, again, drops that there's bears and wolves and other kind of animals out in the woods, and it's not safe. Which kind of pays off later, but not really. Oh, I don't want, ugh, we'll get there. Yeah, I know. So basically, they just don't care. So at this point, Chelsea starts to break away from the group. So she starts going on walks. You know, later on, she takes a nap and listens to music. And then Garth is in there, like, fucking smoking cigarettes. That's the thing. So, okay, anti-authority, whatever. But then he immediately turns against Chelsea because she starts being authoritative. And that's really frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that probably is something that he would do. Mm -hmm. I could see that happening. I just don't see other like i don't see queer people and like another woman being Being okay okay with with that yeah 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 especially when he's the minority (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) like get out of here yeah well and we never get any kind of catharsis like so at one point i'm i'm gonna start jumping ahead a little bit just yeah yeah yeah. she goes off for a swim she ends up having an encounter with the ranger that shakes her and it's it's obviously very rapey and sexual because she's just been swimming yeah she's like half clothed and wet and yeah but uh when she gets back to the cabin she sees that they've been tagging trees and they've lit an open fire And she gets really mad at them, and they just act like, oh, mom, don't be such a downer. It's actually a very good summation for all of the issues that I have with the way these characters are presented. But at this point, she gets upset. Like, she goes away, she comes back, and she starts to have a conversation. And this is where I'm like, okay, we're going to get some catharsis here. We're actually going to get these issues out on the (laughs) table. We're going to get better insight into what's driving these characters and why they're at each other. And then this is when Amber gets shot. So we never get that. Chelsea never gets to actually process the way that she's feeling about anything to these kids. And I get that it's meant to all hide until the climax so that we can do the big reveal about why she's feeling the way she does. But like, I wanted her to get some kind of apology or at least get on the table that like these people were assholes. I mean, it it is reminiscent though of an 80s slasher. Like this is kind of how it is. You you get your introduction of your ragtag group of friends and they also getting killed off. I mean, there's not really much there. The the problem is that this film seems invested in trying to get you emotionally invested in Chelsea's story. That's the problem because Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about a traditional 80s slasher... You're not really, like, you point out the final girl, but you don't really care about her backstory too much. Exactly. Well, you're not revealing she was maybe sexually assaulted and she's a budding sociopath I mean, it's in just... the last act. Like, <laughs> right. they don't do that to Nancy and <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it's just not very well fleshed out. And we have a 77-minute film. You know, you you can do this in Zombievers, but when they're trying to cram in all this stuff... 
into 77 minutes, it just doesn't work. Like, I feel nothing for most of these I mean, characters. I really bristle at, you know, every uh, horror film, like, trying to give the character this backstory. That's why I really love the film Revenge. Did you all see that one? I yes. love Revenge, and Trace is, like, lukewarm on it. Okay, I, I love it. Most people do. I, I, I'm very much like, it's fine, but I'm in the minority. Most people love it. I, I love it. that the Fucking main character, it. right, I love that she really doesn't have a backstory, mm-hmm. and you just become invested in her in this moment, yeah, her survival in, in this moment. Yeah, exactly, and I think it would have been, I really want more space for women in film, this is why I liked Bliss, I really want more space for women in film to just be kind of shitty, just as shitty as men, <laughs> and right. I think it would have been cool if they were just kind of a bunch of shitty punk kids, and like, one of them is the final girl, and like, that's it. I don't, I, I just felt like a lot to try to put into an hour and 20 minutes. Well, I mean, I think yeah. the title of my review for this film was, this movie has an identity crisis, and that's, mm-hmm. that, that is its downfall. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think without the trauma, we might be getting more of what we're looking for, or we wouldn't be so critical of the fact that these characters are assholes because it would just be like oh well they're just assholes and then they get killed and it's like a brisk slasher it's not trying to do more okay like people complain about the movie unfriended have y'all seen unfriended i haven't okay so it's good it's it's really good good. i'll watch it but here's the thing it is a movie populated by utterly despicable characters there is not a single likable character in the film but it's not that deep It, it makes kind of a statement on bullying and it works but like it's the point of that movie is that you're waiting to watch these kids die it's kind of like Final Destination, you know? It's like a fun little, like, sport. It's a fun time killer. Those kids not being likable doesn't bother me like it does in this movie. Because this movie's trying to do something different and make a statement. Yeah, it is trying to make a statement, yeah. Yeah. I said the same thing to you, Trace, offline, that these kids remind me of the kids from Cabin Fever. Yes. Yeah, I thought the same they thing. They feel like yeah. kind of punk version of Eli Roth characters. But then because we have to fold in all the trauma and the backstory... Well, but cabin, cabin fever, fever is successful because it's like you you just hate them <laughs> like yeah and like the joke is that they're such assholes and then they just die like, yeah, well, yeah there's the humor there's humor in cabin fever and i don't think this movie is particularly humorous but i also don't think it's trying to be humorous no no that was the other thing there needs to be more humor because i don't know how familiar you all are with punk film but humor is a hallmark of punk like film. return of the living dead yeah, like Return of the Living Dead is definitely considered a punk film. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like Times Square, Repo Man, uh, The Fabulous mm-hmm. Stains. Mm-hmm. Like all of those films, there is a wry, very specific punk humor in them. Yeah. And there was not that in this, which is... Well, no, because yeah. the comedy is only coming from The Ranger. And to be honest, it's... Not that funny. He ain't that funny. Yeah. So. It's 50s Americana humor. And it's like, it's one joke and it gets really stale. But I thought it was like so corny and not well, in a fun way. It mm. should have been more corny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like we get a lot of him like reciting park rules. But here's the thing. What what this movie was missing to me, like minus the bear shop, I guess, is missing park themed deaths. Which yeah. is why... I like okay, so the way that this the uh, Amber getting shot is framed. I think it's a really cool scene. Like he's like, you know, they're all freaking out. Then he shoots the boombox. Yeah, this is arguably like one of the best deaths. Yeah, but like you, well, no, because she doesn't die here. Her actual death, I yeah. hate. But like she's in the background, out of focus, and you just hear the gun go off again, and like you see her head like twitch, and then mm-hmm. she falls. And you think, like, headshot. Okay, yes. here we go. She should have died. It yeah, would have been so shocking mm-hmm. if she just died then. But then, 
they just give her more drugs. <laughs> I know. No, they carry her a mile. And then they give her heroin, and then she overdoses. Well, this is the other thing that was really um, annoying about this as well, was that I don't know when this is set, but heroin has, like, ravaged alternative communities. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the punk community in particular, like, many of my friends have died from heroin overdoses. And it's very common. And I just felt like there was a commentary that was being made there, that was not ever realized. Oh, and I right. right. Huh. Which is strange because she is so familiar with punk culture. Right. You would have thought that and sorry, I keep saying she like we should acknowledge this is a, a screenplay that was co written by two people. Yeah. Right. A, a, a woman and a man. But you would think if they're familiar with punk culture that I'm they sure would they know, are. Like, and I'm oh. I'm that's why I think it was there was supposed to be I think that element to it. But it was never it's doesn't it doesn't ever say anything in particular. And I I was also just like, well, historically, punk communities are like punk communities and queer communities are the ones that have pioneered harm reduction around drug use. So it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that they would be like, oh, let's inject her with heroin. You know, it just it was like, why would they think that there? It was like very insulting to their intelligence. <laughs> I mean, again, if we're assuming it's speed, not heroin, then maybe the idea was, oh, it'll wake her up, like so she won't pass out. No, they said it was to relieve her pain. Yeah, they're they clearly say they're trying to keep her sedated. Oh fuck! Well, never mind. Trace, did you fall asleep again? <sighs> Man, <laughs> it's a really hard movie to say say like paying attention to. I mean, my my big thing was just. It feels like we're pulling Looney Tune items out of a bag here where they get back. The van's not there. Okay. You know, we find out later what's happened to it. But at the time, it's like, okay, magical. And then suddenly they just have a syringe full of pink something or other. And they're like, keep her sedated. And all I could think of was, what is happening? Where are these items coming from? How are they so prepared for this like do people just carry syringe fulls of drugs no No. they do it there they make it there on the spot (laughs) yeah Yeah, like this isn't something you would have prepared hours ago like i don't know it was very confusing well that's Mm -hmm. why i'm saying like people who do drugs like yeah of course people get irresponsible because they're living chaotic lifestyles a lot Mm -hmm. of the time and they're you know they just like i need to just get high you know it's whatever but typically people who are doing drugs you know, as a culture, we insult their intelligence, but like they know what they're doing. Like they know how to do the drugs. <laughs> so, <laughs> and usually they know how to do it so that they don't get sick. Yeah. You know, people are thinking about their deaths, like just contrary to what people think. Mm-hmm. So it's, it just all seemed very, just out of, out of time and place to me. Yeah. A little bit like, okay, we've, we've decided on this narrative thrust. So what are we going to do? Because we need to keep, abe in one location and then we need to get other people away so uh let's have them stay with the body i also think that 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 would work if the tone of the film were a bit more over the top and because it's not yeah it's like taking a middle ground yeah Yeah. so yeah uh yeah abe is left with amber Yeah, so Abe and Jerk stay with Amber, and Chelsea and Garth decide they're going to trek up the mountain because, of course, she remembers at this point that there is a radio in the ranger's house because when he met her outside of the lake, he reminded her that his cottage is up on the top. Yeah. So we've got two separate groups. 
Amber starts to OD and they realize, okay, this isn't going to work. We can't wait for a car to go by and we'll flag it down. So Jerk decides he's going to head to the convenience store to make a phone call. I did appreciate, though, when Abe was like, please don't leave me. Like that, again, I felt something a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, I find the reactions to some of the events a little bit suspect, but there's moments like this that feel very genuine. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's inconsistent to me. Yeah. So Jerk heads off and Abe sees lights, so he flags down a passing car. It is, of course, the Ranger who has heard them on the radio. And, uh, I mean, in short order, he basically just shoots Amber in the fucking head. Gun in your slasher movie. I mean, I get it. It's the Ranger. He has a... Do do Rangers have guns? Maybe they do. I'm sure they do. Do Probably for wildlife, (laughs) maybe. Okay, Uh, I could buy that. Sure, but... Like, we discussed this before, like, don't fucking give me a gun death in your horror movie. That's such a fucking waste. It just seems very odd to me, too, that he he purposely, from all accounts, like, from what we can gather based on the information we have, missed killing her the first time. Like, yeah. he shot off an earlobe, which apparently, like, freaked her out so much that she passed out and they had to comatose her. But uh, did he plan this so that they would have to bring the body out and then he could finish them off uh yes i'm gonna say he he needed them to get to the road and then he knew they would split out because he's smart (laughs) that's a reach but i will i i mean absolutely yes i'm giving it way too much credit but i will say though that this chase scene with abe set to like some synth music that's very reminiscent of the thing like i do like this up until he gets into the bear trap Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he. Re- I thought the bear trap was the best death, but yeah, go ahead. It is. Well, no, I mean, because in the way, the way, sorry, the way that 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 when he gets in the bear trap, it's like a one single shot take where it's like on his face, it goes down his leg, you see it, and then it goes back up to his face to see him screaming. Again, it's well done. I do like that, but then after that, I'm out of it again. Because this feels like the film is now starting to get serious, right? Like we had the unexpected gunshot on Amber, and then we've got this unexpected bear trap with Abe. And then the ranger shows up, and he's once again doing his old-timey slapstick routine. He then starts a countdown, encouraging Abe to pull his own leg out from under the bear trap. This effect is good. Which he somehow manages to do. I'm going to call shenanigans on this. Leg off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then the ranger is like, cool, I got the stump, and he just leaves Abe to bleed out. Well, because... He's also setting up a lover's, not a quarrel, but like a a lover's... Reunion. Yes, for later. Yeah, Yeah, uh, time is a malleable thing at this point, because almost as soon as this happens, we cut to the convenience store where Jerk is making a phone call. We've got a weird Texas Chainsaw Massacre situation where he tries to place the call, but it ends up getting hung up on, so it's never clear that it went through. Yeah. Dude, I actually wrote in my notes, this is um, the Ranger, like, and this is kind of like Arlie Ermey in the Texas Chainsaw remake. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely heavy Texas Chainsaw vibes with the convenience store, all the scenes with the convenience store. Minus mm-hmm. the aesthetic, though, because this is a very clean and colorful convenience store, which, again, is part of the look of the film, and I get that. I also had a bit of is- uh, some issues with the look of the film. Like, I, I feel like it should have been grittier. So... Joe, you did you already say? I know you told me last night, but did you say in the episode yet that the, the aesthetic that she was going for was Lisa Frank? No, I haven't. I haven't mentioned that yet. Yeah, yeah. So it's a combination of punk versus Lisa Frank, and if people don't know what Lisa Frank is, it's basically like a young girl's 
what would we even say here? Like a merchandise line? So Lisa Frank. <laughs> <she's>, <laughs> Annie, help me out. <laughs> she's a pop artist and she became very popular. Her work became very popular in the 90s among young girls. It's very like pink and colorful and mm-hmm. poppy, like definitely squarely in the pop art vein and also kind of coming out of a pop punk aesthetic and being like liberalized and made into this kind of like girl girly girl power thing so that makes sense that she would use that and in this convenience store it's like flooded with pink lighting yeah yeah and then of course during a key moment so magically the ranger shows up here he convinces jerk to put the axe that he's carrying around down because of course jerk is not garth and he's not going to challenge this man mm-hmm. so the ranger picks up the the axe he ends up crashing into a gumball machine so we get this interesting contrast of a super clean convenience store that's very you know, capitalist and very product oriented. And then we get a scatter of neon colored gumballs falling across the floor during our action sequence. I liked it. But again, it just it kind of felt like, oh, cool, there's a pop of color. And then jerk is just dead. And the death is fine. I mean, again, it's just an axe in the in the chin. And it's like, (sighs) I mean, it doesn't go on long enough. It's not, I don't know, like, it's not bloody. It's not Again, like kind of like what you're saying, Annie, I wanted more. Like I wanted bigger, louder, more action-y. Yes. I don't know if these are fair criticisms to have against the film. Well, no, but that, but that's the thing. Like, like we're saying, oh, I'm mad the film isn't this. You know, that, that, that's the age-old thing that we go across, Joe. Is like, oh, you, you can't criticize the film for not being what you wanted it to be. You have to criticize it for what it is. But when given a premise like this and an aesthetic like this, I do feel like it's still fair to be like, well, in my opinion, this would have made it better. This would have been a more successful route to take. Well, yeah, I mean, she's saying she wants to make a punk film. So I think it's fair to criticize the aesthetic of it. And if that is if she's if it's successful. Mm -hmm. I just feel like the film never really gets ramped up, like even during these kill sequences, which should be main set pieces of this film. Yeah, it just felt like an adrenaline isn't spiking. And that might be a budget thing. I mean, I'm sure this is an extremely low budget film. But yeah, that's like. It's not just that I don't like the kids, and so that's why I feel nothing when they die, but it's like, yeah, there's no spectacle around any of this. And maybe that's unfair as well, because, like, obviously not all deaths have to have spectacle. But given, again, given the slasher setting. that's what a slasher is. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's what a slasher is. And then what is with the part where she's in the cage and the wolf and the... (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's, let's fucking go to the climax. Let's jump ahead. Yeah. So basically, everybody is dead except for Chelsea and Gar. So they get up to the top of the hill, they break in, they discover there's no radio. So whatever. Wait, I'm sorry. One thing really quick. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Do you want to go back to Abe and I just want to say really quick. So Abe finds Jerk's, the top half of Jerk's body. It's kind of a prolonged shot where it's like he's like feeling the blood on the ground and then like gets to his body. And like entrails or something? Yeah, but then it gets eaten by a wolf. But like, again, budget thing. We don't see the wolf. We just see like the fur and like he like, you know, it jumps on him. And I was like, okay, that's fine. The budget probably didn't allow for that. But then we have that last shot of the film. And I was like, wait. (laughs) You do have a wolf. You have a wolf. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so, so back to this cage. 
Yeah. Uh, again, that that whole thing, I was just like, I didn't need this reunion between no. Abe and Jerk. It felt so needlessly unnecessary, and it protracts from what should be ramping up to the climax. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like it was, did you feel a way about it? Like, did you feel like it was maybe kind of fucked up to have this queer couple go through this? I mean, it is, but... It wasn't like a queer themed death, you know. Like had it no. been, ha- yeah. had he like shoved something down his throat for like an extreme blowjob, like maybe I would feel more <laughs> icky about it. Yeah, it's not the town that dreaded sundown, where the gay couple who are like just trying to give each other head end up brutally killed by a trombone massacre. Yeah, exactly. Or like, uh, there's a movie that we haven't discussed that we'll discuss at some point called Two Thousand One Maniacs, where the gay guy is killed by um, a spit roast. Fun. Like, yeah. <laughs> Not sexual, like... Not a no. good spit roast. <laughs> but the implication is there. Yeah, yeah. right. So, I mean, I, I get it. Like, I, I get what you're saying. It doesn't really, like... I, I just didn't care, really. I mean... Yeah, I felt the same way. I didn't really care. But yeah. I was interested to know what you all thought. No, I mean, I, I... Yeah, I... Well, I think the weirdest thing to me is that this is the only characters that get this extra scene right like it would have been easy enough to have just Mm -hmm. left abe to die in the trap right yeah and instead we get the scene where he actually meets his lover and they get a final caress in a way which is something that even chelsea and garth don't get she just discovers his body but it's the climax and she's got to like get up to the top of that tower well maybe what this is trying to communicate is like this wasn't this couple actually liked each other Mm -hmm. possibly yeah (laughs) yeah so, okay. yeah, then we have this bizarre wolfskin sequence. What the fuck was that? Okay, uh, so here's what I'm thinking. So they're they're hiding in the basement because the ranger has come back unexpectedly. He literally fucking teleports all over these woods. Yeah, but wait, wait, which I'm okay with because that's like, that is that's a, a slasher trope, right? Yes. Yeah, so they're hiding in the basement. They discover the caged bodies of all the people who have been missing. We saw posters in the convenience store for all these missing people. So clearly the ranger has been killing people for the entirety of the time that Chelsea has not been here. Yeah. Fine. He ends up knocking her out. He ends up shooting Garth. She wakes up and she is inside one of the cages. And he, the ranger, is naked in the corner (laughs) wearing a wolf skin. Here's the thing. She is high. So this is not real. This is a hallucination. Oh, it was a hallucination. Because when she wakes up, he's already got the heroin, the pink heroin, and he's like rambling on and on about how he's going to get the city out of her by forcing her to confront this because he knows that she's better. But at this point, he's already administered it. Well, I did not get that at all. Didn't get that at all. (laughs) Yeah, I thought he was just... I was it like, okay, I was we're, <laughs> I was like, we have this one really strange moment. God, if only it had just gone down that road. But this would support your belief that he has sexually assaulted her. Yes. Right. Because whether this is a hallucination that she's having, or if it actually is potentially real, either way, the, the insinuation is, is that he's, he's the big bad naked wolf. around her. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She okay. sees him as a wolf, as a predator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. Uh, yeah, she's either imagining that or she or he just is kooky as hell and just likes to wear wolf skin. Yeah. And to be I honest, mean, if try. he had of if he had of actually gone that path, because they try to suggest that he is super loony, right? Like, because even in the climax when she's beating the shit out of him with those binoculars and right. he's laughing. That's the kind of thing where, yeah, but maybe just have him still wearing that wolf skin well that's what i'm saying it's like he's supposed to be such a lunatic that would track 
and mm-hmm. you just I texted just go Joe last night, and I was like, "Did he go crazy and start killing people after the uncle died, or was he always crazy and killing people like from the get go?" Right. I was not clear. I got the impression, and maybe I could be completely wrong. I got the impression that Chelsea escaped a very bizarre abusive situation Mm -hmm. and that it's possible that they were always like that like they were abusers and also murderers i don't know yeah it just is yeah it's unclear again the kitchen sink it's a lot of things happening in a very short runtime yeah Yeah. and again like the assumption is is that these woods are dangerous right like people have gone missing in them presumably for quite some time so it would be easy enough to speculate that the two men had set up the woods as their own private hunting ground but again all assumption because we're never given any kind of detail right and that would have been an interesting element and it you know it, it yeah, I mean, it's it's just, and then, oh, I'm going to get the city out of you. You know, it's like that. There wasn't enough of that. It well, just comes out of nowhere. And even with the way this ends. So, yeah, we get this, like, dinner table scene, which is whatever. Then It's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's what it is. Right. Sure. And then, yeah, she escapes. They run up Chekhov's tower because we saw that earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, she just beats the fuck out of him. Yeah, because he's almost trying to win her over to his side by admitting that she is like him, right? And the way to do that is to get her to tap into her inner rage. And it's interesting because I ended up spending a lot of time looking at the way that female critics reviewed the film. And this was the part that female critics really ended up responding to. This idea that this traumatized woman just like a final girl but also annie like a rape revenge Mm -hmm. she finally fucking taps into that power and she beats the ever-living shit out of her oppressor and she you know overcomes in the end and then there's the murky morals of whether or not it like is she a good person because she also killed her uncle well because of the way that it ends that's why i was like oh well she killed him because he was also a rapist and we get like the, the kind of callback because earlier in the film amber was saying oh you just need to scream and howl and do it and like she didn't want to do it so this is her finally doing yeah. that she's embracing it she's embracing her wolf which is then how the film ends she wanders out into the woods she takes away garth's knife so he's been tied up to a tree and she takes away his phallus which i also kind of enjoyed yeah it's your character <laughs> and then she encounters a wolf in the woods and the film ends yep like there's a lot of symbols in this and there's an interesting potential commentary on rape revenge and what it does to women and how that changes them but the problem is is that it's butting up against this idea of a conventional slasher where teens went into the woods and they encountered somebody who didn't like the way they lived and then they got killed for it right Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this film still doesn't... I was hopeful last night. Again, the first half I was kind of into, and I was like, okay, maybe it's not as bad as I remember, and I was going to, like, bump it up a bit. Honestly, by the time the credits rolled, I felt the exact same as I did two years ago. I was like, I'm not interested in this at all, and clearly not a movie made for me, but it just didn't work for me. Well, as somebody who I think it was made for, (laughs) I still don't uh, i hate to disparage because there are really cool things about it but i just at the end of the day like didn't particularly care by the Mm -hmm. end like i just didn't like everything i've said like it just wasn't enough it just wasn't enough of everything to get me to care about it yeah and i'm in the same boat you know i feel like the two stories were at conflict with one another i think i would have liked 
you know, more of like a revenge as in the film revenge, a version of this right. film where it was mostly Chelsea working through her issues. Right. Kill off everybody the at the Ranger. beginning then. Yeah. I was going to say, if you kill off everyone in like within like a five to 10 minute scene and then boom, it's just Chelsea and the Ranger. But I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think it's like Chelsea and the Ranger for the last 10 minutes of the movie and that's it. It should be Chelsea and the Ranger for the majority of the movie. Yeah. I think that yeah. that would be, and, and their conflict and you could get more of his campy dialogue, you know, talking about the city right. and, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to cleanse her, whatever. Like it could be, you know, you just have to really go full throttle so- with it. Do yeah. y'all want an uber serious version of this, or do you want a silly, campy version of this? Uh, what do you think would be more successful? Here's the thing. I don't like glib or obscure depictions of sexual assault, particularly against women. I find it really trite, and I'm fucking tired of it. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to include those elements or implied elements, I need it serious. Right. Like, revenge doesn't have jokes. It has comedic moments, but the comedy is all tied to, like, men getting their due, like, their just desserts in forms of, like, violent punishment. So I would be okay with that. It does have that over-the-top element, though, where it's like, oh, she should be dead, like, at least ten times in this movie, but she just keeps on ticking. Oh, yeah, that's the fantasy of it. Right, for sure. Well, that's why I find that movie so successful. Me too. It's the part that Trace has the issue with. I, I have an issue with it. But I, I need to rewatch it. Very, I, I told Joe this before. I was watching that movie with my husband at Fantastic Fest. And he, someone had a seizure during the film. So they had oh, to stop Jesus. the film. I know. Someone had to stop the movie like halfway through. And like while they were getting this person out of the theater, my husband looks at me and goes, I hate this so much. <laughs> it might have colored your experience. <laughs> It's so hard to sit next to somebody that you know they're not enjoying something and you're just like, oh, God, I'm feeling it raiding off of you right now. And I felt bad because I actually convinced him to go see the movie because he actually didn't even want to see it to begin with. And I was like, oh, but I've heard it's so good. So I essentially dragged him to see it. and He he was miserable the whole time. Uh, I find it like I've seen so many rape revenge films. I love rape revenge. It's one of my favorite subgenres. I thought revenge was like a really successful, Mm -hmm. um, a really successful new kind of rape revenge film. Because something I uh, don't like about a lot of people who try to like resurrect rape revenge or exploitation films, period, Mm -hmm. is it's it's it doesn't update the genre and it's just like the same the same shit and that's what i like about revenge is like it's an update it's a completely it's a new perspective and with this i felt like the film didn't know if it was an updated 80s slasher or if it was an homage yeah and it couldn't decide if it wanted to be funny or if it wanted to be serious so it ended up being kind of nothing Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah dabbling in a lot of different things but then not giving us any one great version of something yeah yeah exactly that 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 sums up my thoughts exactly yeah and like you know i think like if you're gonna have the sexual element in it like i personally think you can still have humor but i think joe you made a really good point of like the kind of humor that it is well and that's why though revenge you have these are both films directed by women and i think that that regardless of my feelings for revenge i mean like I'm in the, it's a three out of five. Like, it's not, I don't dislike the film. I think it's fine. I just don't love it like everyone else does. But I think that's the perspective you need, you know, is someone who, I mean, not saying that men can't go through being raped. Obviously, that's not the case. But I mean, I think I would love a male rape revenge film. Me too. That makes me sound. Um, no, it's it's one of those things where I think like if a man is going like if a male director is going to make a rape revenge, I would love to see him tackle a male rape revenge film and like yes. try to work through that shit. Right. 
I mean, like we covered Calvair on the podcast. Oh, yeah. That's, that's really, why I was going to mention that one. But it's there's it, no revenge. There's no revenge. There's just it's rape. like a rape and yeah. escape. <laughs> it's just yeah. rape. <laughs> yeah. Rape and pig fucking. <laughs> yeah. It's no, I mean, that movie's really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I would love that. I mean, I think that that is something that hasn't been tackled. I mean, I think we need a queer male protagonist rape revenge film. Like, I would mm-hmm. love that. Um, it's, I mean, but that's besides the point, that's not this movie, but it's, yeah, it was, it was not enough. Like if you're going to make it rape revenge, you kind of have to say what happened. We have to, you know, the kill has to be sort of justified. Not that it's not because he's a murderer, but that's the whole, the rub of the rape revenge is like the graphic kill, the graphic murder, the graphic revenge is justified because of the, the sexual violence is so egregious. Right. Yeah. And here, like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna try to suggest that the inciting incident, like, putting aside the rape revenge potential here, if you're gonna say, okay, it's punks versus authority, I don't know, I just, I think you, you need to beef up the authority piece of it. Yes. Because here, it just kind of seems like a bunch of low-key punks, like, almost like a cosplay punk. (laughs) They got the look right. Yeah, they kind of got the attitude right, but yeah. not not really. Yeah, they're not that. They're, they're, they're just yeah, not they're, that punk. They're not that <laughs> punk. Yeah, it's like, it, you know, I would have preferred like a punks versus authority horror film and have really gone very far with that right. instead of a mishmash of things. Yeah. Okay. I know that we're we're starting to wrap things up. I feel like can we just have a quick kind of three minute comparison between this and Green Room? Because I feel like oh. that is the film that always gets brought up. Like what I wanted to see was Green Room and yeah. what I got was this. Oh, interesting. I actually haven't seen Green Room. Okay. Oh, shit. Okay. So G- Green Room. But is you can fo- spoil it. It's fine. No, no, no. I mean, it, it's focused. It is very, it is a simple plot. It is a bunch of kids it's punks versus Nazis. Yes. yes. So, so they they play they they are in a band. They play a show at a skinhead bar, and they witness a murder. And they are trapped in the green room of the bar, and they have to escape. And that okay. is the plot of the movie. Yeah. But the kills. Oh, hit. they're so they hit hard. Patrick Stewart is killing it as like the totally chill leader of these white supremacists, and. It's just really tense, but even like when you get to the final confrontation, it doesn't take place in the bar. It's like it moved to a secondary location, but it feels like everything has just been slowly cranked up. Yeah. Like we are finally going to fucking do this. And I think that's what I feel like is missing. This film feels like it starts so strong out of the gate. I'm wanting to be on its side, and then it just kind of feels like air is getting let out of a tire as the film goes on like i should be getting ramped up and instead i'm just kind of like yeah and the other thing is i think the reason that films like green room which i haven't seen but i've only heard good things about it's amazing yeah i think i think i just haven't seen it because i'm like i don't want i don't want to watch the nazis but i (laughs) i will watch it but it's which I just said rape revenge is like one of my most favorite things. And I'm like, but Nazis. (laughs) Everybody's got a barometer. Like some things you can take and others you can't. Right. I think we, we, the women in these films, what I think bothered me about this is like, I don't buy them as that badass. Like not to disparage the actress. I just wish that 
as women that we were allowed to see like women who look different and women mm. who like aren't conventionally attractive and women who are like muscular or women who look like they've fucking been in a fight you know like I would mm. like to see more of that and I think that that's what I get frustrated with in horror yeah. films yeah, yeah I would have liked to see Chelsea as just like a bitch yes and not have to become a final girl exactly that's what i wanted i wanted just like this bitchy punk girl who just happens to be the one in her group of friends who survives doesn't that minimize then the trauma that she experiences as a child though well no, uh, no. i think like, I, let's I just like... not do that if we're gonna do this punks versus authoritarian thing right yeah i mean i think all number one like i didn't care for the trauma storyline at all so i wouldn't have it in there <laughs> But I also think it's powerful to have trauma victims who aren't these, like, perfect heroines on a pedestal. Like, all kinds of people get raped. So it's – I think – and it's – I think it's important to show that. And I don't think we've ever – I can only think of a few films that do that. And usually they're dramas. Like, they're not genre films. Genre films tend to be very moralizing Mm -hmm. about these sorts of things. Surprisingly conservative. Yes. (laughs) And I would like to see, and, like, I know I keep bringing it up, but that's why I really liked Bliss, is that the main character, you go with her on this journey, and she's a complete asshole. But you're Mm. still there on this journey with her. Okay. So what I'm hearing is, Trace, you and I, our homework is we're going to finally fucking watch Bliss because we talked about it for ages and I watched it. And And I have to watch Green Room. You're going to go watch Green Room. Yes. (laughs) And and then we'll reconvene here in a couple weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I think we've said all we can about this very short film. I mean, again, I wish it were better. I wish I... Whatever. It's a film. Uh, if you haven't watched it, it's on Shudder, streaming for free. Well, I mean, for free. It's $5 a month for Shudder. But, um, yeah. So, um, that is The Ranger. And before we announce what we're covering next week, Annie, what would you like to plug? So, uh, I just plug my podcast and some things I'm doing. My podcast is Girls, Guts, and Giallo. Uh, we talk about uh, subversive, controversial, and sleazy cinema from a femme queer perspective. But recently, I've been leaning in and just saying a leather dyke perspective because that's Ooh. really what it is. Yes. And I am a leather dyke. I'm in kink community. So I come from that perspective. And I'm a former sex worker. And I uh, have a I'm the person I'm the host. I'm always there. But I have a different guest every week. And we analyze films. Yeah, I gotta say, I have really enjoyed the diversity of films that you've been. I'm so glad. Yeah, Yeah. so it's not a lot of the time because horror tends to be the most subversive or controversial genre of film. That's a lot of what we're what I'm covering. But it's not just horror. Like we've done Secretary was a movie that I did. Ooh, Uh, I love some Secretary. Yeah, I love Secretary. We did Caligula. Oh God! (laughs) Yeah, anything that is subversive, controversial, or sleazy. Uh, and uh, we, I usually have the guest pick the film and then we just dissect it. And I'm doing a live podcast in April at International Miss Leather, which is a Leather Dyke event that's been going on for a long time in the Bay Area. Yeah. So and currently I'm I'm also lecturing on BDSM representations of BDSM in film. 
Nice. That is very, yeah. Well, next time we have you on, we'll do something maybe with that, those themes. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I've done cruising on my podcast. I'm sure you guys have done it. I feel like. So we have, we have not. It's been one of those where it's, oh, it's on the list, but then we keep bumping it for something else and neither one of us have seen it. So it. Uh, I've seen it plenty. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I've never seen it, but people keep telling us to do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we could always, we could always do cruising. (laughs) Yeah. I always go cruising. (laughs) Well, Annie, thank you so much. We're very glad that you came on this journey with us. Yeah. And I'm going to close up with some of our housekeeping before we officially sign off. For sure. If you'd like to contact us listeners, you can visit our Horror Queers Facebook page or join our exclusive Horror Queers Facebook group. Tweet us at HorrorQueers or email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. If you have two seconds, please head on over to iTunes. And by iTunes, I mean Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or write a review. Uh, if you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes covering recent horror films like The Invisible Man. Uh, we have also got an audio commentary on Paul Verhoeven's Hollow Man to pair with The Invisible Man for all you $10 patrons. Joe, mm-hmm. what are we covering next week? Well, before I say that, I also want to say go buy a fucking t-shirt or a mug oh, or something from that. our tea Public store because people said they wanted Horrorcore's merchandise and then like five of you have bought something. So come on. Hey, and thank you five people who bought something. Yes. Thank you to those and the rest of you get on that. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of you die. <laughs> the rest of you ungrateful people. No. Um, and you can, sorry, I didn't plug my social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram yeah. oh, right. at, at Girls Guts Giallo. Yeah. yeah, okay. So next week, Annie, you're going to like this because people can listen to your take on it and they can listen to our take. But next week, we're going to be talking about Vamp. Amazing. Great. <laughs> listeners, just a heads up. We are talking about the 1986 film Vamp with Grace Jones and Robert Wrestler. We are not talking about the Amy Heckerling, Alicia Silverstone, Sigourney Weaver <laughs> yeah. movie Vamps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vamp, no S. <laughs> but yes, uh, please come in for that. We've actually already recorded that one and it is a very fun conversation. Yeah. That's a fun movie. It's a very fun movie. It was very fun. Uh, but yeah, so on that note, we can cross out The Ranger. Yes, and cross out horror queers. Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy and disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.